Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, thank you, Larry, and thank North Bible Church. I'll tell you, I always feel right at home here. Uh, I shared in the first service that when I first got out of seminary, the first church I went on staff at, it was in Texas, and it was called Northwest Bible Church. That was there eight years. Uh, And then I planted a church out of Northwest Bible Church, and we called it North Community Church. Uh, I came here to Phoenix in 1996 to become the pastor of a church called North Ridge Community Church. And here I am today speaking to my friends at North Bible Church. I'm picking up a theme here. I'm kind of into this North type of stuff. But uh, it's so good to be here. And if you're visiting uh, this morning, I promise you, you're in a, in a really, really one, wonderful and warm place. Uh, and, and you need to come back week after week. You're going you're gonna to absolutely love it here. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of you don't know this, but uh, I, this, this will surprise you, but I don't work out a whole lot. I know it's a shock to you. Uh, I, I don't, but my wife loves to work out. She is a big marathon runner. She's run between 20 and 30 marathons. And this past week, she told me about a, a running event that took place, takes place every year, last, the same week every year, the middle of July, in Death Valley. And it's called the Badwater Ultramarathon. It's 135 miles. It starts at the lowest point in the continental United States in Death Valley. Uh, and it ends up running 135 miles to the base of Mount Whitney, which is one of the highest points in the continental United States. So incredibly grueling, 120, 130 degree temperatures. But and right there in Death Valley. And even though I, I don't know much about running in Death Valley, I did hear about someone who drove through Death Valley. In fact, I heard the story a while ago. It was about a nun who was driving, uh, taking a trip through California, and she was driving through Death Valley, and all of a sudden she looked and she noticed her car, her little Volkswagen, had run out of gas. And so she pulled over to the side of the road, and she thought, oh boy, what am I going to do? And she prayed, and, and, and she prayed and hitchhiked, and, and someone came along, picked her up, took her to a gas station about 15 miles behind her. She walked in and talked to the attendant at the gas station and said, uh, hey, you know, I just ran out of gas uh, here in Death Valley. It's hot, and, and I was wondering if you have gas. And the attendant said, I got good news and bad news. The good news is I have gasoline, but the bad news, I don't have a gas can, and there's no place to buy one. Well, he said, let me, let me go back. And so he went in the back shed, looked around, couldn't find a gas can, couldn't find a bucket or a pail or anything. But he came out and he says, this is the only thing I could find. And he showed her uh, an old, rusty, some of you guys remember these from hospitals. It was called a bedpan. And he brought this old bedpan out and says, this isn't great, but it's all I got. And she said, I'll take it. And so he put about a gallon and a half of gas in there. Uh, she got back in the car that had given her a ride, and she rode back out to her little Volkswagen Beetle that was uh, on the side of the road. And so she started pouring the gas out of the, the bedpan into her gas tank. And just as she was doing that, a semi-truck driver came driving down the road, and he saw this very strange sight, and, and, he, and he slammed on the brakes. He jumped out of his cab. He ran up to this nun, fell down on his knees, began to cry, and he cried these words. He said, oh sister, I sure wish I had your kind of faith. (laughs) Well guys, the reason I like that story is because we're like that truck driver, aren't we? Is we want a better faith. We want a bigger faith. But the question is, what does a bigger, better faith look like and how do we get it? We're going to talk about that today in this great series that you guys are in right now, uh, this series uh, that is called Best Summer Ever. One of the ways you have not only the best summer, but the best life ever, one of the most primary things that's needed is to have a bigger, better, stronger faith. And so how do we grow true trust in our life? And we're going to talk about that today. And to begin that, I'm going to read uh, a very, very good verse. In fact, I love this verse. I, I shared uh, first hour that, that uh, when I graduated from high school back in 1972, 
I was in a little tiny church that I grew up in, and our youth group consisted of me and my five girl cousins. How's that for a wild youth group, right? And, and uh, our, our youth pastor back then, a guy by the name of Lee McCullough, uh, gave me a little Christian book for graduation. In the front cover, he wrote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it's become, honestly, one of my two life verses uh, ever since then. And here's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean in, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And so what we're going to talk about today is this concept that it sounds so obvious, but it's so confusing. We're going to talk about the subject of how do we grow, how do we show true trust, how do we grow? And, and to do that, we have to first understand, what is this word trust? It's something that we all think we understand, but it can be a little bit confusing. It can get a little bit messy. In fact, in the Bible, the word trust, uh, uh, or the word trust is come from, in the Old Testament, uh, it's a Hebrew word, it's called batak. In the New Testament, uh, the primary word is, is a Greek word called pistuo, and it is translated in three ways. It can be translated trust. So when you see the word trust in the Old Testament or New Testament, it's likely this word. Uh, it, it can be translated faith, or it can be translated belief. And so the idea, when we see this verb, this command to trust in the Lord with all your heart, what the Bible is talking about is how do we put our faith in the Lord in a wholehearted way? Now, this gets a little bit confusing, and, and the reason for that is in the Bible, the word trust and the word faith is used in three different ways. And, and, and uh, in just a second, I'm going to share with you five things that, that, that uh, it may require out of you, but just three general observations about the way in which the word trust or faith is used in the Bible. First of all, the Bible talks about a saving faith. A saving faith. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says this. It says, for by grace you're saved through faith. It saves you. It's the gift of God, not of work, so nobody should go about boasting that I earned my way to heaven. It doesn't work that way. The way that every follower of Jesus Christ becomes a child of God and gets the assurance of forgiveness and going to heaven and eternal life is through placing their faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on the cross. And so everyone who is, is a follower of Jesus has to have a saving faith. It's universal among the body of Christ. But the Bible uses the word faith in a second way. It's not just a saving faith, but the Bible talks about a growing faith. And I gotta tell you something, is, is I first placed my trust in Jesus when I was a young boy in that little church back in, in Illinois that I grew up in. But since that time, my faith has grown, but there's been other times in my life where my faith has, has slowed down. And so there are certain things that I can do and certain things other people can do that can either grow our faith or shrink our faith. And so we're going to actually talk about that a little bit this morning. When, when the book of Proverbs talks about trusting the Lord with all your heart, that's what it's talking about. How do I have a growing faith? How do I have a deeper, true trust in my life? But there's a third way that the Bible uses the word trust or the word faith, and that is that there's something called a gift of faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, there's a, a long list of all the spiritual gifts. In fact, every one of us here this morning has one or more spiritual gifts, but we don't have all the spiritual gifts, which is why we need each other. But there are some of you here today that have the spiritual gift of faith, which means you have the ability given by God to trust him for incredibly wild, crazy things in a way that I, who don't have the gift of faith, cannot do. In fact, uh, you may be here this morning and say, okay, what does a person who's got a huge, big monster faith look like? What does a person with a gift of faith look like? Well, here's a test. I'm going to show you a picture of three guys. Let's see if you can figure out which guy has the biggest faith up here. Okay? Now, what that's a picture of, if you're in the back row, uh, it's a picture of a guy, he's trying to fix his air conditioner on this little balcony, and he's standing on a ladder that's hanging out, and the only thing that's keeping him there are two guys that are standing on the other end of the ladder. 
And so, so a lot of times we think, well, this guy's got big faith, right? He's got faith that the guy in the back isn't going to step off the ladder and he's going to go tumbling off. And so sometimes we think people with big faith really are people who, in, in a real sense, are kind of foolish. They're people who take wild, reckless chances. But what we're going to see today is we're going to meet a man who had an incredible big faith and he never did anything as stupid as that. His name was Abraham. And, and uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament, I'm not going to have you turn to this right now because I'm going to have you turn instead to Genesis chapter 12, which is what we're going to spend most of our time looking at today. But the condensed version of Genesis chapter 12 is found over in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. And just as the New Testament has a chapter called the love chapter, anybody know what the love chapter is? You ever, got, you ever know a wedding? 1 Corinthians 13, right? And, and it's a chapter that's all about love. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the faith chapter because it's the primary chapter in the Bible that's all about faith. And what the writer of the book of Hebrews does is he lists uh, dozens of people's names who were people of great faith. But there's one guy that he devotes more verses to than any other guy in all of Hebrews chapter 11. And it's a guy whose born name was Abram, which meant great father. And eventually his name is going to be changed to Abraham, which means father of a great multitude. And so we're going to talk about Abraham today. And as we look at his life, we're going to find out how we can show, how we can grow faith, and what that might require of us. Let me read to you, first of all, though, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with, founda whose, with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. One of the things that we're going to see about this guy by the name of Abraham is, is as you look at his life, he is going to constantly over and over again go deep in his faith. He's going to show us what an authentic faith looks like and what true trust looks like. And what I want to share with you today inside your worship folder, I've got an outline. There's five different things that God may require of you and that he required of Abraham in order to go strong and, and to grow big in your faith. And so here's the first thing I want you to write down. Number one is this. True trust may require you, first of all, to leave where God wants you to leave. Sometimes there's a relationship between the growth of our faith and our willingness to leave the places that we don't want to leave. You know, this uh, uh, past Thursday, uh, I heard about a story. Actually, I heard about it on, on, on Friday, but on Thursday, there was a family in Minnesota that took their, their family uh, to a little fair, uh, a county fair at, at a place called Rush City, uh, Minnesota. And so they, they went to the fair, and they had a great time. They went home, and, and, and everybody was at home. Everything was going good. And all of a sudden, the parents looked around, and they realized that their little two-and-a-half-year-old boy, uh, the little guy's name was Kenneth Allen. Kenneth was missing. And so they panicked, and they called the, the local police department. They put out one of those all-points bulletins. And about an hour or so later, is, it was reported that they found little Kenneth. You know what he had done? He had come home. He got on his little battery-powered John Deere toy tractor, and he drove it two blocks back to the county fairgrounds. And the, the police found him driving around the fairgrounds. Why did that little guy go back? Because he didn't want to leave a place that he really, really liked. And guys, one of the things that, that is true in all of our life is we are creatures of habit. We tend to like being in the same place, in a good place, and we don't like it when we have to leave from there. Well, I want you to look at what happens in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, as we meet this magnificent model of, of trust, Abraham. Here's how it starts out. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, go from your people, and go from your father's household to the land that I'll show you. 
If you're taking notes, there's five different things I'd like you to write down in this first point that are important for us to realize because God may call you today to leave one of these five things or maybe all five of these five things at some point in your life if you're going to go deep, if you're going to, to take your trust from a low level to a high level. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Number one, he may ask you to leave your old turf. Your old turf. God may ask you to move. You may not move out of the country like Abraham did, but maybe he's going to ask you to move out of your city or out of your state, or even out of your neighborhood, but, or, or just out of your comfort zone, but, but God may ask you to move out of your old turf. You know, for us, that occurred back in, in, in uh, 1995. Um, uh, the church that, that I pastored here for 23 years, Northridge Community Church, was looking for a pastor, and, and they contacted us up uh, in, in Dallas, and, and, and it was very difficult for us to leave is my wife's family was in Dallas, and, and, and we loved our little church that we planted there, and, and it was very difficult, but we had to ask ourselves, what might be God trying to say to us? And for us, it resulted in us relocating our family, two preschool kids and a second-grade daughter here 23 years ago. God may not do that, but in some ways, he may be calling you to leave your old turf. Second thing to write down in this first point is this, he may be calling you to leave your old friends. You know, it's one thing to leave your old turf, uh, your old city, but it's another thing to leave your old friends. If, if uh, the, the, uh, the state came in here today and said, you know what we're going to do is we are going to declare eminent domain and we're going to go ahead and take uh, North Bible Church's building and we're going to give them some money for it, but they're going to have to move, is guys, it would be a little bit traumatic. It would be a bit disruptive that you're leaving the old turf, but as long as you went with all of your old friends, it's not as disruptive. What God's going to call Abraham to do is not just to leave his country, but he's going to call him to leave his people. Guys, that takes faith. That'll drive you deep in your trust. And there's a third thing that, that he's asked to do, and that's to leave his old family members, your father's household. Friends, one of the things the Bible talks about is on many occasions, people would come and say, Jesus, I'll follow you. And Jesus would say, great, why don't you come and follow me now? And they'd say, oh, not now. I've got to wait till my dad dies. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to honor your father. I want you to honor your mother. That's part of my agenda. But what you have to understand is this, is that if you truly place your trust in God, is you got to put me first. And so, so you may have to leave your old turf, your old friends, your old uh, family members. Here's a fourth thing to write down in this first point. You may have to leave your old routines. Do you guys like your routines? Boy, in, in our family, we, ha we have uh, routines. Uh, every morning, Mary gets up and she runs. Then she goes to Starbucks and gets her coffee. Uh, and, and, you know, she, it's kind of a routine. We do the same thing over and over again. For me, I go to a, a restaurant not far from here, a place called Zips, and every time I go in, the waitress doesn't even take my order anymore. She brings me out an iced tea, a glass of water, and, and, and a, a spinach chicken salad. I get the same thing every time I go there. Why? I like my routine. Well, friends, sometimes what God may do is he may say, listen, I want you personally, and I want you corporately, even as a church, sometimes you're going to have to change your routine if you're going to go to the next level of trust and the next level of faith with me. Our church, Northridge Community Church, that I was at for 23 years, is we went through a very uh, significant succession plan fairly recently and, uh, and, and transition. And you know what? It's hard stuff. But what it requires and what it ends up creating is a deeper trust in God. Why? Because our routines are going to be just a little bit different. And the final word I want you to write down in this first point is this. You may have to change your old vo vices and your old voices is if you're going to go to the next level in your relationship with God, you may have to, to, to leave some of those old vices and some of your old voices. Now, what's an example of an old vice? Well, uh, in John chapter 8, there's a wonderful story, and you've heard it, and we love this story. Even our, our, our secular society loves this story. It's, it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. 
And what happens is, you, you know how it works, is, is uh, uh, they bring this woman to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. What do you think we should do? The Old Testament law says we should stone her. And remember what Jesus does? He says, okay, you who without, without sin, you throw the first stone. And all the guys go home grumpy. And I want you to listen to what happens next, though, because we read most of what happens next, but we lose the last line. John chapter 8, verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. And friends, 99 times out of 100, when people quote this, that's where they stop. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful statement that Jesus isn't condemning her. He's not condemning you. But they forget this very important last line that is essential if you're going to continue to grow in your faith, if you're going to continue to develop the true trust in Jesus. And the last line says this, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared, but go now and leave your life of sin. What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm not saying you're this terrible, horrible person if, if you sin or if you blow it, but here's what I am saying, is if you continue in some of these old vices you have, you know what it's going to do? It's going to prevent you from going to the next level in your relationship with me. And Jesus desires intimacy with us. So we may have to leave our old vices. We also may have to leave our old voices. Now, what are those old voices? Those are the people that maybe you're associated with that are speaking things into your life, uh, uh, things that are contrary to what God has for you, that are holding you back. Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 13, as he's sending out his disciples. He says, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone won't welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake off the dust of your feet. What Jesus is saying is, you know, there may be certain voices, certain people in your life that for you to go, go to the next level, you're going to have to leave them behind. I have a really good friend named Mike, and, and uh, Mike has been sober for nine years, and he has an incredibly powerful ministry uh, working to the recovery community here in, in Phoenix. And one of the things Mike told me a long time ago was when, when he started getting healthy, when he started getting sober, is one of the things he learned in AA is that sometimes you have to change your playgrounds. That's leaving behind the old turf. But he says sometimes you've got to change your playmates as well. You may have to say there's certain vices and certain voices that I have to leave behind. And so my question to you this morning is this. Is there something in your life that you think you need to leave behind in order to go to the next level with God? Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Number two is this, is Abraham shows us that true trust, number two, may require you to go where God wants you to go. You might have got to leave where God wants you to leave, but that's not the same as going where God wants you to go. Sometimes you can leave one place, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to the, the next right place that God has for you to go. great example of that is found in Jonah. We always think Jonah is the story about, uh, about this big whale, but the whale really plays a very small part, or the, or the fish, in the book of Jonah. What, what really Jonah's about is about a man whose faith isn't a allowing him to go to the place that God wants him to go. Listen to Jonah 1.1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. You see, Jonah did the first thing right. He left where he was, so he left where God wanted him to leave, but he did the second thing wrong. He didn't go to where God wanted him to go. God wanted him to go to Nineveh. Instead, he was heading for Tarshish, the opposite direction. And friends, one of the things we see about Abraham is God called him not just to leave, but he called him to go. And it says this, The Lord had said, God said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household. And then it says this, And go to the land that I will show you. 
You know, when, when, when you go someplace, or I go someplace, and especially if God wants us to go someplace, uh, a lot of times we say, okay, I may go, but first of all, you're going to have to tell me exactly everything about where I'm going. You ever feel like that? Uh, uh, two, three years ago, Mary and I, for our 40th anniversary, did a little cruise, uh, and, and we, we flew to Copenhagen, Denmark, and we hit kind of the Baltic uh, capitals and some of that kind of stuff. But before we went, I got on the internet. I looked at maps. I, I looked at brochures. Is I wanted to make the strange place a little less strange. And to do that, we, we, we seek information. We want to know before we go. But you know, one of the characteristics of real faith and one of the things we see about Abraham is that a lot of times Abraham was asked to go places and he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what it was going to look like. Listen to Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, and then it adds this part, even though he did not know where he was going. Friends, you may be here this morning and, and, and maybe you feel like that. You, th- you say, you know what, I, God's calling me to go someplace and I'm not 100% sure what that's going to look like. Welcome to the world of growing trust. God may ask you to do that. Acts chapter 10, verse 19, Peter took great pride in in hanging out with his kind of people. He wanted to hang out with just other Jewish people, people who were considered ceremonially clean. But he has this vision where God says, hey, Peter, stop calling uh, things unclean that I call clean. And then this happens, uh, Acts chapter um, uh, 10, Uh, verse verse 19. It says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Friends, I think intentional ministry is incredibly important. Strategic plans are important. Goals are important. But here's what you need to know, is your most dramatic ministries and experiences are likely going to occur when you follow God's lead without knowing exactly where this road ends. Well, first thing you got to do is you got to leave where God tells you to leave probably at some point in your life. You're going to have to go where God tells you to go at some point in your life if you're going to grow in faith. But here's a third thing. This one's tough. You're going to have to wait when God tells you to wait. Uh, just uh, let's do an informal survey here. How many of you just love to wait? Can I see your Nobody. Nobody loves to wait, do you? Yeah, we don't like bank lines. Uh, you know, one of the things I find in my own life, I tend to be a, a very laid back, sometimes too laid back person. But if I come up to a, 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 a left turn lane stoplight and a little green arrow comes on and, and the car in front of me just sits there and texts while that little green arrow's on, it drives me crazy. I, I, I start saying words that pastors shouldn't say uh, when, when that happens. I mean, I mean like, like uh, hurry up, you know, that kind of stuff uh, on, on, on that one. And so, so I hate to wait. And my guess is you hate to wait too. But you know what waiting does? Sometimes what waiting does is it reminds us that God's in control of not just the what and the where, but he's in control of the when as well. In fact, listen to our buddy Abraham here, Genesis eleven thirty one. 31. says this, it says, Terah, took, Terah is Abraham's father. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, and Terah lived 205 years and he died. Okay, here's the picture, is Abraham's dad uh, and, and family, is they're living in, let's say, Phoenix, Arizona. That's, that, that's uh, Ur of the Chaldees. It's actually present-day Iraq, but let's say Phoenix. And so, in a vision, God's going to come, and he's going to call Abraham and his family to go to a new place, to move from Phoenix, Arizona to Dallas, Texas, about 1,100 miles away. 
And so what happens is, is Abraham's dad and family and Abraham, they all start making their way there, and they get to about El Paso, which in the, his day is Haran. So they make it about a third to a half of the way there, and all of a sudden they say, you know what, this looks pretty good. And so they end up settling there. And what's going to happen is they're going to stay there for we don't know exactly how long, but it's going to be decades until Abraham's father, Terah, ends up dying. And what's going to happen after he passed away? Look at Acts 7, verse 2. This is Stephen talking. He says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, still in, in Phoenix, still in, in Ur the Chaldee, before he lived in Haran, before he lived in El Paso. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I'll show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and he settled in Haran. And then it says this, After the death of his father, God sent him, Abraham, to this land where you're now living. What God was basically saying is this, is Abraham, uh, uh, you are here, I want you there, but there's going to be a season of decades in which you are going to have to wait when and where I want you to wait. Guys, waiting is a hard thing to do, but when we wait, there's usually two things that are going on. Sometimes God is preparing us for the challenge we're going we're gonna to receive next, and we're not quite there yet, but sometimes God is preparing the situation to be more receptive when we finally show up as well. And so here's what it says in Isaiah 30, verse 18. It says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Lamentation chapter 3, verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so what does Abraham tell us? He tells us that, listen, if I'm going to go deeper in my faith, if I'm going to go ahead and, and manifest true trust, and I'm going to have to leave sometimes where God calls me to leave. I'm going to have to go where God wants me to go. I'm going to have to wait when God wants me to wait. And here's the fourth thing I want you to write down. True trust may require you to include who God wants you to include. He may want you to include someone that you'd rather not include. You know, uh, back when I was about in fifth or sixth grade, uh, the big game at our grade school was kickball. And, and what would happen at recess is the two best uh, athletes would go out in the playground and all the kids would line up and then these two team captains would pick teams. Remember how that worked? And you'd pick the best guy, then the second best guy, and the best girl, second best girl. And so you go through this, and you get down to the end, and if you're one of the last two or three people, you're just saying, well, please pick me, please pick me. Because what happens when you're at the very end, it was not uncommon for one of those team captains to say, oh, you know what, you can just have him, or you can have her. And what it reminds us is that from a very early age, even kids are conscious of the fact that there's certain people that they want to include in their life and on their team, and there's certain people that they don't want to include in their life and on their team. Well, one of the things we see about Abraham is Abraham includes some people on his team that were desirable and some people that were undesirable. It was God's plan. It was God's will. Listen to what it says in Genesis 12, verse 4. It says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and now here's the people he took with him. He took his wife, Sarah. Okay? One of the things the Bible tells about Sarah was Sarah was a very beautiful woman. In fact, so beautiful that Abraham would lie about her to, to make sure that, that uh, you know, he didn't get into trouble. But, but he took his wife, Sarai. That was someone who was very, very, very desirable. But it says his nephew, Lot, he also took with him. Now, while uh, Sarah was, was desirable, Lot was undesirable. In fact, one of the things the Bible tells us is this, is that Lot brought very few assets into this relationship he had with his uncle Abraham. 
His men are going to squabble nonstop with Abraham's man over over water rights to their pastures. Abraham is, is going to end up blessing Lot financially, and as a result, when it comes time for them to go their separate ways, he says, Lot, you pick the part you, of land you want. I'll take the other part. Lot takes the best part and leaves the rest for Abraham. When, when Lot ends up settling down, he could live anywhere. But you know what? He goes and he lives right on the very edge of decadence and disaster. He lives right next to Sodom of Sodom and Gomorrah. Later on, Lot's going to get in trouble. He's going to get kidnapped. Abraham's going to come and bail him out again. And then what we're going to see is, is late in his life what's going to happen is, is the Bible records that Lot is going to drink too much alcohol and then he's going to become inappropriate sexually. Now, does that sound like the kind of guy you'd like to take with you and move across country? Of course not. But for whatever reason, God says, listen, is when you do life, if you want to go deep in your faith, you can't just surround yourself in people who look, smell, and sound exactly like you. You're going to have to include some messy people in your life. You're going to have to include the people that God wants you to include. You know, uh, one of my favorite guys for doing that in the New Testament is a guy by the name of Barnabas. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 65 years old, but if I could go back 65 years and say, hey, mom and dad, here, here's what you should name me, I would love to have been named Barnabas because his name in Hebrew means son of encouragement. And that's what we see his, his, his modus operandi in the New Testament. He's always encouraging people who nobody else wants to encourage. We meet him one of the early times uh, when, when uh, Saul, who's persecuting Christians, uh, b- gets converted. Nobody wants to go and touch Saul with a 10-foot pole, but guess what? One guy does. His name's Barnabas. And Barnabas goes and comes alongside Saul. His name becomes Paul, and Barnabas ends up ushering him into places that he couldn't normally go. Why? Because he was somebody who was willing to include those who God wanted him to include. Later in life, what's going to happen is, is uh, Paul and Barnabas are now out on a missionary trip, and, and there's a guy Barnabas wants to take with. His name's John Mark, and he had blown it on, on the earlier missionary trip, and Paul says, we're not taking that guy. But listen to what Barnabas says, Acts 15, 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. You know what, this John Mark, this, this guy who blew it, that, that Barnabas says, you know what, I'm going to include this guy because God wants me to in- include. You know what that John Mark's going to do? He's going to go on and he's going to write the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. Why? Because some guy by the name of Barnabas says, I, like Abraham, I want to be a man of deep faith, a man of true trust, and I want to include those who God wants me to include, even when no one else does or they're not fun. One final thing I want you to write down. Number five is this. Abraham, last thing he's going to show us is this, that if you're going to have true trust, if you're going to grow in your faith, the fifth thing that you got to do is this. You must believe what God wants you to believe. This is important, uh, and this is, really speaks to our culture. You've got to believe what God wants you to believe. Uh, you, know, you know, when I think about, about this, um, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of a, a baseball story. We're kind of in the middle, almost the other half of, of the baseball season. The All-Star breaks behind us. But there's a great story that occurred back in, in 1935. I believe it was Babe Ruth's last year to play professional baseball. And, 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 and he went up to, to, to bat one time, and he got two strikes on him. And the umpire behind the plate was a rookie umpire. His first year in the major leagues, and his name was Babe Pinelli. And so the count was 0-2 to the world's greatest baseball player and the world's youngest, most inexperienced umpires behind the plate. So the pitcher throws the ball, and it's a close call, 
And Babe Pinelli, this rookie umpire, th- thinks, gee, I think it's a strike, but do I call it a strike or a ball? And he says, you know what, I've got to do the right thing. And he calls it a strike. And Babe Ruth's out. Babe Ruth was livid. He turned around and he called the, uh, the young umpire every name in the book. And then he says this to the young umpire. He says, listen, young fella. He says, I thought that last one was a ball. My coach thought it was a ball. My team thought it was a ball. And 40,000 people in this stadium all thought it was a ball. And the, the umpire looks a little sheepish at first, but finally, in a soft voice, he speaks to Babe Ruth, and he says, well, you know what? That may be right, but I thought it was a strike, and my opinion is the only one that counts. Guys, that is a great picture of belief systems. Because when it comes to your belief system, what is the set of values, what is the set of beliefs, of doctrine that you're going to hold on to? You have three options. Option number one is one that was huge in, in America, uh, probably throughout the 60s and 70s, and even in the 80s, and, uh, and, and it's that you can believe what you want to believe. You ever, you ever you know that philosophy? It's, hey, you know what, if you want to believe in Jesus, that's cool. I'm going to believe in this. Or, or if you want to believe in, in, in this view of, of biblical marriage, that's cool, but I'm going to believe in this. That was kind of live and let live. That was true up until about the 1980s. But what happened is about the 90s and then the new millennium is a second worldview came in, which isn't believe what you want to believe, but it's believe what other people want you to believe. And what happened, there became great pressure is, no, it's not acceptable that you believe that. You have to believe what the majority of other people in our culture say is true. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you want to have true trust, if you want to have an authentic faith, is sometimes you're not allowed to believe what you want to believe. You know, if I could believe what I wanted to believe, uh, I'd believe that, that that stuff about turning the other cheek is, I don't believe that. Wouldn't that be nice? Or the, the, the part in the Bible which, which puts other restrictions. Wouldn't it be nice just to kind of pick the parts you want and leave the other parts behind? God says, that's not true trust. And you can't listen to what the, the voice the majority says is, is that's not going to do it. But God says this, is if you want to truly have a true trust, if you want to have a growing faith in me, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to come to a place where even if you don't like it, you believe what I believe. Listen to what it says about Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And this is a recurrent theme when it talks about Abraham. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, going to come up again. So again, I ask, does God give, give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And one of my favorite verses on this is found in James 2.23. And I don't have a slide on this one, but in James 2.23, it makes this comment. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. In other words, he was declared righteous because of his belief in Jesus Christ. But then it adds this, and Abraham was called the friend of God. Friends, it's the only guy in the Bible who's identified as the friend of God. And what did it was he was a man who had true trust and authentic faith in God. The result was that he experienced a saving faith, declared righteousness, but also he was a friend of God and experienced that growing faith and growing intimate relationship with him over the years as well. And so here's what we've learned today. Today we've learned that, you know, this thing called faith and trust and, and, and belief, it, it gets kind of fuzzy sometimes. But it's an important factor. In fact, it's probably one of the most five most important words in, in the Bible, along with love uh, and trust. Really, really important to understand. There's 917 occurrences of it in the Bible. 
And we said that one of the ways we can kind of understand is to realize that the Bible, when it talks about faith and trust, it talks about a saving faith. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, life, death on the cross, and resurrection as he's the one who died for your sin. This morning I would encourage you to do it because you can't have a growing faith without a saving faith. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps accelerate that process in our life. And so we talked about a saving faith. We talked about a gift of faith that some of you have. And if you have that gift, man, we need you in the body of Christ. Keep practicing that. But one of the things all of us who are our children of Jesus need is we need to continue to work towards our growing faith. And, and we learned this morning this, that if you're going to have a growing faith, it may cost you something. In fact, repeatedly in the New Testament, when Jesus would talk about the cost of a growing faith of discipleship, it says from that time on, many people stopped following Jesus. Why? Because sometimes it's difficult to, number one, to leave what God wants you to leave. And so my question to you this morning is, is there something God wants you to leave behind? Maybe it's a vice, maybe it's a voice, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a comfort zone, maybe it's a, uh, it's a friend, I don't know, but is there something God wants you to leave? Second question is this, is, is, is there somewhere that God wants you to go? You see, because Abraham didn't just leave what God wanted to leave, but he had to go where God wanted him to go. Third thing we saw is, is we have to sometimes wait when God wants us to wait and realize God is preparing us in the situation. Fourth thing we saw is this, is we have to include those who God wants us to include. And so the question for you is this, is there somebody in your life that, man, maybe you don't get a lot out of that person, but is there somebody that God says, yeah, I know that, but you need to include that person in your life. And the final question is this, is do you believe what God wants you to believe? It's incredibly important. You know, as we kind of wrap up um, our service today, one of the things that I, I've always kind of liked to do in, in, in those years, in fact, this is the first year, I've gone from speaking about 46 Sundays a year down to speaking about four to six Sundays a, a year. And, and, but one of the things I would always like to do in my, uh, in my speaking is if I could, was, was to give folks a little acrostic, something they can kind of hang on to that's kind of a, 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 an application. So in closing, let me tell you four things, and it spells the word uh, cast, C-A-S-T, but four things you can do uh, to go deeper in your faith, uh, to have a true trust in your life. But here's the first thing. Number one is this, is you can connect deeply in a faith community. And a second, Pastor Larry's going to come up, and he can, he can tell you how to do that. But this is a good church, guys. And so, so to ask yourself, is there a way that I can get deep, more deeply connected with North Bible Church or a small group or a ministry? Because you know what it does? It stimulates your faith, and it takes you to the next level. So connect, uh, connect deeply in a faith community. Second thing you can do is this, is you can ask passionately for God to give you more faith. You know, I, I have to say is, is throughout my life, I've prayed that God would take away fear, he would take away uh, threats, he would do all these kind of things, but I spent most of my life never asking that God would give me more faith. And it's really unfortunate because there's a great story in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, where uh, the disciples are trying to go ahead and heal this guy's little boy who's got a demon in him, and they're not having any luck, and so they come up to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus turns to the dad and says, do you believe, do you have faith, do you trust that I can heal your little boy? And here's what the dad says. The father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. He asks for more faith. And friends, one of the things I've been doing in my life over the last year is asking God to give me more faith. Why? Because I don't have the gift of faith. I have to work at it like many of you do. And so ask passionately for God to give it to you. Here's the third thing you can do. It's what we've been doing for the last 35, 40 minutes is you can soak regularly in the word of God. 
is as you spend time in, in, your, in the Bible on a daily basis, one-on-one, or in a group Bible study, or coming to church and hearing Larry and other pastors' messages to you this morning, you know, you do, you're soaking in God's word. And here's what Romans 10, 17 says. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The more time you spend soaking the word of God, you know what happens? Your faith starts to grow. And there's one final thing you can do. It's the T, and it's this, is you can take a few radical risks is guys, the reality is, is you're only going to go so far in your faith if you're not willing to take a few radical risks in it. You know, as we close, I want to uh, share with you a radical risk that um, my wife Mary's in, in, uh, here in the service this morning, and, and Mary's way more of a risk taker than I am when it comes to her faith. But um, probably about, uh, oh, maybe 12 or 15 years ago, uh, my daughter was, was uh, in grade school and, 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 or junior high, one of the two, but, but on, on the bus on the way home, one of my daughter's closest friends began telling her that her home life was pretty rough. And she began to share with my daughter that uh, she had been adopted. She was born in, in Russia, and, she and, her, and, and some of her family members had been adopted by a family, and that she was experiencing abuse at home. And so when my daughter Hannah came home and told Mary and I about this, we started angsting out about this. Is man, you know, the law says if we know about something, we should do something. You should call CPS or the police. But man, these people just live a block and a half from us, and they've always been nice to us. And what if she's lying? And so your, your mind starts going through all this terribly troubled stuff. What, what do I do? And so we thought, we thought, and, and, you know, for me, my thought is, well, let's just wait a little while, right? That's not the good kind of wait. That's the bad kind of waiting. But as we thought about this, Mary said, you know what, Mike, I think we need to do something. And so, so Mary called CPS, Child Protective Services. And Child Protective Services says, hey, listen, we can, uh, you know, we'll keep your name out of it. We'll keep this all quiet and stuff like that. But, but we did that, and I thought, well, okay, it's over. But it wasn't over. Because what Mary did next is she said, Mike, I think God's calling me to do something else. And so what she did is she, she said, I'm going to go down to our neighbor's house, the, the parents of this girl, and I'm going to tell them what I did. And I said, Mary, now wait a minute, you're five foot two, and, and this, is a, this is an unknown situation. Do you think that's a good idea? And she says, I've got to do it. And so big chicken, six foot five, 230 pound Pastor Mike, goes following Mary down the street. We knock on the door, the dad opens up the door, and we sat there and, 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 shared, and, and shared with him, and he began to weep. Well, what happened is uh, about a, a week later is Child Protective Services uh, called that family and, and, and said, we're going to come interview you. And, and that family called Mary up and, and me up and says, listen, would you be willing to come down and sit with us while the interview is going on for Child Protective Services? Would you come? And we came and we sat there with the family and we prayed with the very family we had turned into Child Protective Services. Now, friends, the, the good news, this is one of those few times maybe that it had a happy ending. That, that family began coming to our church. I later had the opportunity of doing the wedding of this daughter who had gone through some of the, these uh, very difficult situations. But it never would have happened had someone not been willing to take a radical risk. And so this week, that's my challenge to you. Is there something kind of scary, something kind of wild that God's asking you to do? I would encourage you to do it because that's where true trust lives itself out. That's where authentic faith is from. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for our time together. What a wonderful church. North Bible Church, a, a, a place where community means something, a place where Jesus means something, a place where the Bible uh, means something. Lord, I thank you for Abraham, who we've talked about this morning, and what a great, beautiful model he is to all of us. Lord, for some of us, I'm going to pray for faith. For some folks here, I'm going to pray for saving faith, that, that they would come to you and say, Father, I think I've been trying to, to, to plan that I'm going to be eternally secure because I've lived a pretty good life.
But Lord, your word tells us that that doesn't get it done. What gets it done is when we recognize that we have sinned and fallen short of your glory, but that you loved us so much you sent your son Jesus to come to earth. He died on the cross for our sins and rose again, and he invites us to accept him as our Savior. And so, Lord, for anyone who's here in that boat, I pray that this morning they would experience that saving faith through grace for the first time. Lord, for uh, the others of us here who maybe have made that step is, God, it's a constant battle to keep growing in our faith. We can't lose our saving faith, but boy, Lord, our faith can get weak and it can get strong. And so I pray that you'll help us to, to, to make the tough choices that we have to make. If we need to leave uh, where you want us to leave, then help us to do it. If we need to go somewhere, help us to do it. If we have to wait, help us to wait like you want us to do. If we have to include somebody or believe something. But Father, help us to apply these principles today. Lord, give us the courage and the strength we need to take a few radical risks for you. Help us to connect strongly with your people. Help us to saturate ourselves in your word. And Lord, we ask you now for more faith and more trust so we can serve you better and come to know and love you as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.